Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's, That's Mo Pawn. Yeah. yeah. And with me as always is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly. Bow, 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 Number one bow, super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Hi Mo. How you doing? Oh hi Doug. <laughs> I'm doing just fine yourself. I wasn't doing a, I wasn't doing a voice. That's <laughs> that's my natural voice mo here on the <laughs> No Budget Nightmares podcast, uh, which you and I co-host, uh, where we talk about mm-hmm. micro budget and shot on video cinema. Mo, we're here to talk about another movie on the podcast. <laughs> another great intro Indeed. for me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Doug. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Mo? How are things in the Mo Budget household? Uh, did you say Mo, Mo budget? budget? That's, that's what awesome. I'm going to call you, Mo I, Budget. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's my name from now on, Mo Budget Nightmares. Yeah. Um, it's like we're in a band, and I'm picking the stupidest possible name I could. Honestly, pick. you know what? Uh, there is something to putting your name in the title. It means that you are completely essential, right? There's no way we could possibly, and when I say we, I mean the No Budget Nightmares listeners, could possibly excise you from the podcast, no matter how much we'd like to. uh yeah well i mean to answer your original question actually things are really good here i mean i'm still in a shitty state living in a shitty city but i'm just you know i'm I'm, mentally i'm in a good place good mo because the listeners i sometimes get dms from people they're concerned about your mental state mo happens all the time okay that's never actually happened but i mean certainly that'd be really fucking funny if it did As your co-host on the No Budget Nightmares podcast, I promise that if someone DMs me asking about your mental health, I will eventually get around to telling you about it. <laughs> <laughs> it might it might take two or three weeks, but you'll get it's there. more it's more like a DM like when's the fucking episode coming out? <laughs> yeah, right. Mo, I'm feeling good. Good. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, I'm feeling good, Mo, because we're talking about. Something exciting, actually. Something uh, pretty unique for the No Budget Nightmares podcast. We're talking about a film that was lost, uh, uh, considered lost forever, Mo, and then was rediscovered because of a uh, a devoted fan of the shot on video cinema. Not just a fan, uh, someone who actually contributes to shot on video cinema and the history, a historian, I would say. Hot dog. Hot dog, hot diggity. Hot diggity dog. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, of Tony Masiello, who uh, has been doing a lot of work on his website, SOVHorror.com, uh, kind of uh, reviewing shot on video horror. He does a lot of videos online, so really, really well done historical shot on video uh, uh, videos that you can check out. Um, and he discovered just a, a while back 
a lost shot on video film from 1990 called Metal Noir. And he saw this thing and he got a bright idea, Mo. A very bright idea, I would say. He was like, you know who needs this movie, Metal Noir? The rest of the world. Yes. Yeah, Mo. Now, despite how <laughs> how you might feel about that, Mo, the rest of the world responded, yes, give us the Metal Noir. And so he did. And it was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the Lord spake it, saying, "Give us the metal noir," and it was good. Uh, in thy mercy. And Tony has distributed this now with a uh, with a commentary and lots of special features. He really went all out uh, to make sure that people who are getting this uh, this lost film, which again is it, the quality of it in both video quality and audio quality and acting quality is a little shaky. Let's say we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I mean, he really went all out just to make sure that there's a total package out there for those who appreciate this kind of Lex Luger. Yeah, the total package. It, it, <laughs> he made sure to put a metal bar in its arm to make it. Extra powerful, um, <laughs> thanks to its motorcycle accident. Boy, what a dorky podcast! <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> anyway, Metal Noir is available through sovhorror.com, and Tony uh, made this film available to us to talk about. But let me tell you something, faithful no budget brother listener. Uh, we cannot be bought or sold uh, for a low price here on the No Budget Nightmares <laughs> podcast. Just because someone gives us something for free, it doesn't mean Mo won't hate it. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> so, uh, all of our thoughts <laughs> that you are about. Meanwhile, to... meanwhile, Doug will happily kiss your ass. Uh, look, I'm the face of the show. Let's face it, right? I'm out there in the world. <laughs> you're cer- you're uh, certainly the mouth of the show. <laughs> with that in mind, Mo, I think it's time to talk about 1990s Metal Noir, directed oh, it... by. Oh, please! If we must. <laughs> yeah, we must. It's actually uh, in our contracts. Oh, yeah, it, right. it was written. And produced uh, by David R. Williams, who, uh, listeners of this show, we haven't covered David Williams' work before, but if you are a fan of low-budget and micro-budget cinema, uh, he directed 2006's Fright World and 2015's Disintegration. Uh, uh, and I would say an accomplished director, and uh, I also put out there, we all have to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and where this movie starts, Mo, good transition, Ooh. is a basement of some sort. Yes. Uh and there's a man in this basement, Mo. We don't know who the man is at this point. He seems in some sort of distress. He has a lot of blood on him. In fact, this movie has a uh, a lot of blood in it, I would say, Mo. It has blood in it, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not talking about gore. That's a different thing, Mo. True. But in terms yeah. of people just having a bunch of blood on themselves, then you're hey, right. Yeah. This movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mo, Mo is already being a contrarian regarding the qualities of this movie. I'm already being is, a full-on cunt. <laughs> what 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 does this man have in his hands, Mo? Uh it's a uh, it's a ring. Okay, or like a, maybe a collar. I don't know. Mm, it's a circular. Okay. It's a circular thing that uh, is covered in spikes. All right, let me explain this in a way that doesn't sound like what Mo just said. Yeah. Um, it, I think a collar is actually a good way of putting it. It looks almost like a crown, uh, except instead of... Think of it like a crown of thorns, right? That you could almost put on your head, though no one actually does that in this movie. But it has nails or spikes going out all around the outside of it. Nothing on the inside. It um, looks like the sort of thing a black metal guy would wrap around his upper arm. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. instead of like studs, it actually is all spiky looking. Well, they 
that's why I said black metal, because they always had the big, stupid, spiky things. I befriended them. <laughs> bye, bye, mom. <laughs> wow, that, that's a reference that about 20% of our audience <laughs> might understand. Anyway, Mo, what does he do with this, uh, this nail uh, implement? Oh, he does what anybody would do in that situation and um, stabs himself repeatedly in the face with it. It kind of looks like he can't help himself. He looks like he's compelled to stab himself with it, Mo. Maybe it was the power of Christ. By the way, this man is in his undies, Mo. He's in his underwear. <laughs> yes, he is. We see something drop to the floor. Now, this is something that, that I have to kind of put out there at the beginning. The video quality of this movie, and again, taking into account that it's lost, it's all very watchable, but uh, it is inconsistent. There are moments where the video quality gets very shaky, and um, and it is a little dark at times as well. It For those who have watched a lot of shot on video cinema, especially from the late 80s, early 90s, none of this will be a surprise to you. It's nothing new, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing new, uh, and nor are the audio issues, which we'll hear in just a little bit. So uh, this man, we see him fall down, and I guess he's dead now, Mo. He killed himself with this uh, this metal spiky thingy device. And that leads directly into the opening credits. Now, the opening credits and the closing credits to this movie, I have a feeling, Mo, I'm just going to throw this out there, that they were not made in the year 1990. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. Yeah, I mean, they're newly attached uh, credits, um, you know, done in a, a nice uh, kind of VHSE font. Uh, and there are, Mo, a few familiar names in these opening credits, if you are a fan of shot on video cinema, including uh, Charles Pinion, who actually was the uh, actor in that opening scene, who uh, you might know him as the director of 1988's Twisted Issues or 1993's Red Spirit Lake, a longtime contributor to micro-budget cinema, uh, as well as Hugh Gallagher, director of Gorgasm, Gorotica, and Gore Whore, which I know a lot of uh, listeners to this show are, uh, are aware of. Uh, he, pairs up, uh, he, he, <clears throat> he appears in this movie as well. Uh, and then there's a lot of people who you have not heard of and you probably will never hear from again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mo, anything uh, jump out at you from this opening credits? Well, I mean, I did see Tony's name in the credits. Yes, Tony does get an editing credit, uh, which, considering I'm sure he had to do a lot of polishing on this, I think is well-deserved. Exactly. Uh, Mo, after the credits, now we're going to get into the movie proper. Now this shit is going to break down. What are we looking at? Um, A house? A house, yes. Yeah, there's a couple of women. They walk into the house. They're mm -hmm. talking. They're about talking. The house. <laughs> well, let's go a little deeper into this. Mo, uh, not, one of these women is named Laurel, and she is a writer of horror fiction. Can Can I just mention that I did not realize her name was Laurel I until know. about three quarters of the way through? I thought her name was Laura. I had to do a like a, a, a find and replace on all my notes because of exactly <laughs> the same thing. See, I never do that, so like half of my notes are going to say Laura, and then eventually it's just going to say Laurel? It's all right. <laughs> and, then it, Look, and then it changes. Nobody is surprised at who's making more effort here, Mo. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so it's Laurel and another woman. This other woman is trying to sell Laurel this house. She has a name too, right? It's Probably. Who cares? They, you know, when it comes it. to women, they all sort of blend together for me. You know what I'm saying? Wow. <laughs> Uh, I'm playing a character here on the No Budget Neighbors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the character of Doug Tilly. 
Yeah, the character of guy who was going to get his ass beat by his wife as soon as he finished recording. <laughs> Her name's um, Mrs. Dodd, by the way. Mrs. Dodd? Yeah. Okay, I'll remember that. Uh, she, she is not going to be a massive part of this movie. No. So, they're looking around the house, as you mentioned. Um, there's... <laughs> The dialogue here is a little difficult to make out because of a combination of audio issues and some acting that I would not say is particularly good. Yeah. But uh, we do get a little bit of detail about the original owners of the house. Uh, This is Mrs. Dodd, and she says... As I understand it, the original owners had to leave in in rather a hurry. I don't know, but uh, the original owners uh, turned the house over to the agency and we... Yeah, so uh, Mrs. Dodd fucked up her line there and just kept going, which we do give points for effort here on the No Budget Nightmares podcast, though. Sure. I have to say, Mrs. Dodd's effort uh, uh, waxes and wanes in her small appearance here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mo, uh, tell me something. You are an American gentleman. I tend to be, yes. Mm-hmm. The accents in this movie... Yeah, let's talk about those. Yeah, okay. I don't know a lot about accents. I mean, I can, of course, I can do a spot-on British accent as our most recent episode proved. Yeah, let's let's not revisit that. And of course, uh, probably long-time listeners know that I can do a, a fucking great Boston accent, Mo. <laughs> right? Hot Daddy, car. Daddy, Daddy fucking, fucking ball right. mm-hmm. <laughs> Etc. Etc. Uh, but the accents in this movie are a little unusual. They are American. I I can say that with some confidence. But everyone sounds ridiculous in this movie. Every single person. And, well, and they all sound like they're from different places. Yeah, like it weird. is kind of strange. Yeah, so like, you know... The main character, Laurel... <laughs> I would argue sounds mostly like she's of the Dakotas. Okay. You know, somewhere north Midwest, but like on the Canada border, you know, like that area. Sure. Very, very Edie McClurg circa mm-hmm. Bobby's world, that sort of thing, you know. Sure. But without the don't you knows and my little manzies and that sort of shit. But, you know, but every now and again, she'll say something that makes her sound straight out of fucking like central Jersey. Right. And it's just very confusing. Meanwhile, every other actor, especially the the other couple of main male actors in it, they sound New York, you know, northern Jersey, you know, or, or just out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. There are a few out of it performances in this movie. That's yeah. that is pretty short. Yeah, I mean it's unusual. I mean, um, it, it's and, and all another over thing is, place. look, if you watch a lot of mainstream cinema, you don't really hear a lot of variation of accents unless they're very broad. So it's interesting to hear what I would describe as um, accents a, that are a sonic cacophony. <laughs> accents that are a little less pleasant to the ear. Let's say. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry to people from that part of the country, uh, who I'm sure are lovely people. I haven't encountered any nice people from that part of the country myself, but I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they exist. <laughs> oh, they explore this house. Um, yeah. Laurel, she looks around. She seems impressed. And, of course, you do what you do when you're trying to sell the house. You end the tour by going into the filthy, dirty old cellar. Yeah. So... The uh, tour, like you said, takes a, uh, a twist 
into the the basement and she starts telling this story. Yes. You know, they, they, they question like she was saying that the the house is actually younger than the most recent owner, because at one point the neighbors burned the house down or something to that effect. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think what Laurel actually asks, she says, why do sellers always look older than the houses above them? And the person says, in this case, it's because the seller is older than the house because it was burned down by people in the neighborhood. And uh, that leads to a very natural question from Laurel. Hey, why did everyone want to burn this house down? Right. And uh, then the um, – what would you call the person's position here, by the way? Like um, – a re- like The realtor? What, the realtor. That's right. So the realtor says that uh, she's heard rumors, heard stories, Mo, but she's not – she's not uh, supposed to tell anyone about them. And then she proceeds the to tell them about it. Yeah. yeah it, like, and really – not a good idea if you're trying to sell this place, but maybe she's new at the job, something like that. See, now, so, now he, here's here's where I got to point something out, and they should have maybe worked this into the script. Oh, maybe. yes, please punch it up now. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, give my two cents here. They can, they can send me a check afterwards. Sure. Um, Laurel's a horror fiction writer. That's right. It's why she has so much imagination. Sure. <laughs> that that explains the accent. Uh, I'm assuming that Mrs. Dodd would have known this. Right. So, like, instead of the uh, whole, instead of the whole, I, I shouldn't be saying this sort of nonsense, she should have played into it, been like, you know, you could write a story about this house, yada, 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 hey. you know, and then tell the story about it. But no, they went the way they went and bless their hearts, as we say down here in the South. <laughs> well, I actually, I agree with you, especially because I feel like uh, Laurel even mentions later that, that, you know, the fact that something sp- spooky happened here might be good inspiration for her. But why not make that explicit? You're right, because otherwise it, it makes it this realtor look like she doesn't know what she's doing. Exactly. So we do learn a little bit more about the backstory. So this house, Mo, was owned by an anthropologist named Madley. Madly, Mo. Madly. Uh, and he was interested in pre-Christian beliefs and rituals. Um, and, well, I'll let the realtor tell you, Mo. Now, <laughs> understand that this is supposed to be two women talking to each other in a room. The camera cuts to the out of doors. And uh, just hear how, how this dialogue is recited. I don't know if it's done from memory. Let's listen. He was an anthropologist, mainly interested in pre-Christian beliefs and rituals. He wanted to make a name for himself. Nothing was more important to him than to win the respect and envy of the spirits. Sounds like a book Apparently, report. Apparently, there was some question about his authoring of a paper that appeared in one of science journals. Some talk of his stealing much of the content from previous works <laughs> and attempting to make it look like his own work. Anyway, Madley left soon after, <laughs> vowing not to return until he had made his name. Several years passed. Finally, Madley returned. He was accompanied by a woman who at the time was wearing some sort of veil, which gave rise to speculation that he had been in Egypt. Okay, I'm, I'm going to cut it off there. Uh, that goes on for a while. <laughs> can, 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 can I just state for the record... The level of chutzpah it fucking took to write a to, to write quote unquote a story about an author that is so poorly written, like this is I mean um, amazing, I mean, amazing. It, <laughs> this this reads like her reading is like she's standing in front of class giving a goddamn book report. 
I like how you can kind of of feel where like the page breaks are. <laughs> <laughs> and turn. <laughs> so just to summarize what she said, um, Madley was accused of plagiarism and he left the house and vowed never to return until he made his name. Eventually he returned back with a woman um, and he um, he told some reporters that he discovered something the likes of which the world had never known. He said he was going to be holding a press conference soon. They went to the house and they were never seen alive again until the police eventually broke down the door and found that both of them were dead. Bowen. How did they die? Oh, I imagine through uh, spiked ring means. <laughs> Well, something like that. <laughs> they, suggest- declared, they declared it a murder-suicide. Yeah, murder-suicide. He cut her into pieces. This was his last resort. <laughs> um, <and laughs> then he took a needle and thread and sewed her pieces back together, Mo. Again, the realtor is trying to sell this house to this yeah. woman. <laughs> yeah. Then, after cutting up his girlfriend and sewing her back together... Madly took the object, the the ring spike thing, drove it repeatedly into his own face, like at the beginning of the movie, and apparently it took several days for him to die in excruciating pain. As you referred to, Mo, the police called it a murder-suicide. Mm. An awful story. Laurel doesn't like hearing it at all. She says that it gives her the creeps. <laughs> and then the realtor figures out that maybe it wasn't such a good idea. It sounds like this. Oh, that's an awful story. Gives me the creeps. Oh, dear. I've done it now. Yeah, oh, dear. I, I knew I shouldn't have told you about the story. Now you're not going to want to take the house, do you? What? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this now, is... <laughs> now you're not going to want to take the house, do you? <laughs> but there is something about the house that Laurel does like. Uh, and it's like she says, it's appropriate for a writer of horror fiction. The, well, we all so, well. We know it's not the competency of the seller. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we do get a nice uh, POV, Evil Dead-ish shot of the camera moving through the house, through the cellar, upstairs to where uh, Laurel is sitting and typing. And then uh, we we get a brief moment of her ripping a page out of the typewriter and going, "Shit, Mo, she's suffering from writer's block, the most relatable thing that a writer can suffer from." Yes. Mo, have you ever written anything? You you know the answer to this. <laughs> uh yes, yes. I have I have written plenty of things. You ever written a fiction book? Um no. No. But have you written a piece of fiction? Uh I several years back I started working on a an idea for a, a graphic novel that never really went anywhere, but but yeah, I you know. Tell us I, more. I have... What is this novel about? No. Yeah, because I might I might want to finish it one day. I don't want to give my ideas away. Well, give us the broad strokes, Mo. It's basically about <laughs> you know a, a a guy who is experimented on and starts seeing the world differently and not realizing the horrible things that he's actually doing. That sort of thing. I was kind of hoping that you were going to say, well, it was about, and then tell the plot of this movie. <laughs> well, it's about this guy who looks like a, a low-rent Blackie Lawless. You know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, writing is hard, as this movie uh, will hammer home again and again. The next day, Laurel is sitting at home, Mo. She gets a call from a character. What's his name, Mo? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. We have three options. 
It's uh? either it's either Mark, Mort, or Mork. <laughs> he may or may not be Mork from Ork. <laughs> he, he may be from Ork. Nanu, Nanu. So who is Mark, do you think, as, in terms of a character? Is it her manager or something like that? Something like that. They, I don't know if it's ever explicitly said if he's her manager or her publisher. Right. But I can, I can tell by the... Let's put it this way. Knowing the little I know about the industry that mm-hmm. is writing, um, I can say he's probably not her publisher because I've never <laughs> once ever heard a publisher say, take some time off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah, this character, the reason that, by the way, that we have difficulty knowing exactly what his name is, is because a normal person would be named Mark. I mean, Mort is a reasonable name as well. Sure. But when when Laurel refers to this person, she always says, Mork, Mork, <laughs> which could be Mark. It could be one of many things, yes. I, I do have an audio clip of her saying it at the end. So stay tuned for that in just a little bit. So as you referred to, Laurel, she has uh, writer's block. Mark suggests, and we're going to call him Mark, by the way, that uh, that maybe she should take some time off, even though she hates doing that. He suggests, why not just get in your car, go and take the first road that looks interesting, um, and maybe it'll be... I don't understand why this advice is good for clearing your head. I mean, this is bad advice. Yeah, it seems like a bad... I mean, it sounds like good advice if you want to get murdered, but that's not mm. even what this movie is about. He basically just wants her to go get lost. In fact, that would actually be a more interesting movie. Yeah. <laughs> Most certainly it would. And, <laughs> and it kind of looks at one point, in fact, very soon now, that it's leading into something like that. But no, that's not what this movie is about. This movie is pretty much is going to take place entirely in this house, with, right. with one exception. Um, but, uh, Mark wants her to go get lost. He wants her to, he wants her to make like Bruce Springsteen and get out of New Jersey, Mo. She's Uh, born to run. (laughs) I, uh, I'm going to spoil something for that, that comes up a little bit later here. Now, Mo, I I, I wouldn't normally be hesitant about that because we are going to talk about it anyway, but you know, this is a movie that is only newly available. Right. That being said, I'm still going to fucking talk about it. All right. We, we find out later that she's 13 chapters done with this book. Mm, yes. So she, in fact, she, she's really near the end. She even refers to it. Yeah. So it, it cracks me up that like, eh, no, no, go, go do what you're going to do. Yada, yada, yada. You know, go, go find a road and get lost and murdered by the serial killer in Wolf Creek. You know, whatever. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But she's she's thirteen chapters in. Yeah, like why? Power why through. Would you, Dude, yeah, just do what Stephen King does and it. just shit out a terrible ending. <laughs> get that thing published. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe get get your son to fucking do the ending for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should also I have to mention Mo Mark. Uh, he has Mark. A, he has a uh, cross earring, uh, which looks very dumb. I mean, look, I'm not criticizing earrings on men. It, it's perfectly reasonable to wear one, but his earring looks dumb. I'm just going to say it, Mo. Done. Done. Uh, after he hangs up, he stares into nothingness. I think there might be something suspicious about this mark. More. There is. There. There isn't. It, there really isn't. There is. No, no, there is, but there isn't. Like that's not the motivation for that scene. He just has doesn't know how to do fucking object play. <laughs> <laughs> His object work needs work. So later, 
Uh, we see something which I don't think I've ever seen in a low-budget movie. <laughs> Laurel comes home to her new house and manages to fuck up closing the door behind her. So <laughs> it opens again. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just let it. I mean, it is a natural thing to happen, but it is very strange. Uh, and so she comes into her house. We get another POV shot as she walks through the house. Uh, she undoes her top, Mo. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about this Laurel. What does she look like? Um, <laughs> bird-like features, mm-hmm. sure. blonde. Yeah, you know, not unattractive, no. but not like particularly attractive. That sort of, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't not, need to make not judgment. Yeah, yeah, like I'm that. not judging her looks. You know, I'm sh- I'm sure she's somebody's cup of tea. I do have a question mind. for you about this, though, Mo. Please, if you had to estimate what her age is, no, I could not. I, I mean, absolutely could not. She's somewhere between thirty and sixty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could she, be on she, either. I like. She, it could be thirty, but it could be sixty. She looks young, but may have spent just a little bit too much time in the sun. Hey, didn't we all in the year nineteen ninety? No, uh, the I'm ozone a, layer was depleting, Mo. We couldn't I'm help a, it. I'm a fucking basement dweller. I was not spending time in the sun, which is the, which is the saddest thing about Florida because there's no basements here. You should have spent some time in the sun, Mo, because tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. (laughs) Yeah, run to the basement to play Nintendo. So we see a POV shot coming up behind Laura. We're like, something spooky's going to happen, and Mm -hmm. something does, but it's not a ghost. It's not a spooky ghost, Mo. What is it? It's my favorite character in the entire movie, Mo. (laughs) Oh, it's Eric. It is Eric. Or as, as, or as as this point in my notes when, because I don't know his name, I call him some douchebag metalhead. So he looks like a very traditional 1990 metalhead. What is he wearing, Mo? There's something very distinctive that he's wearing. Yeah, he looks like Mark Slaughter. Um, he's wearing a half shirt and some yeah. very high-waisted jeans. Mm-hmm. And it's a, ba- it's a Batman shirt. It's a Batman tank top half shirt. Because <laughs> let's, let's not forget... This is 1990. This is 1990. So, if so you lived bat, in 1990, ba- you yep. wore something with Batman's logo. You sure as fuck did. The bat <laughs> craze was alive and well. Um, Eric is great. Uh, you can find many clips of Eric over on our No Much Nightmares Facebook group. So Eric is Laurel's boyfriend. I think that's safe to say. That's the assumption, yes. Yes. Uh, she's surprised to see him. He says that he bought a new used car. He loved his old one, but he woke up a few days ago, and who gives a shit? I mean, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the gist of all of this dialogue, which we, again, I have some clips of Eric talking, and you are not going to fucking believe this guy, <laughs> <laughs> is that he is there to fuck. That is why he has arrived at Laurel's house. He doesn't care about the house itself, really. He asks a couple of questions. He wants to bang. Yeah. And it's convenient since she was in a very vulnerable state of undoing her shirt when he arrived. So they do what anybody does in that situation, and they start talking about religions. Is talking about religion with her. She mentions about the Australian indigenes who believe there's no difference between dreaming and reality. I don't really know how they got on this subject. There's just a lot of dialogue here, and some of it's hard to understand. Right. And uh, Eric, he has a really, uh, a really valuable rule when it comes to conversations, Mo. You don't talk about two things. Let's hear what those things are. Let's not get into this, all right? I made it a rule never to discuss two subjects, music and religion. So maybe we better stop before it gets too far. Okay, fine with me. I have the same rule, though. Really? 
Yep, I never discuss music and religion. You know why? Why? Because you just can't argue with ignorance. I think I'm being insulted here, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <sighs> I, I'll give these actors credit. Like, they have memorized these lines. They are saying them. There's not a lot of cuts. But holy shit. Are, is, a, the dialogue is awful. But the delivery is... It's like they've never talked before. <laughs> it's like it's like they forgot what punctuation is. I'm glad, Mo, that on a recent episode, we both had an opportunity to act with a professional actor so we yeah. could show what our chops are so this doesn't seem hypocritical. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, it seems hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to give Eric my No Budget Nightmares ding seal of approval for his performance just because he is obviously trying so hard and he gets all of the monologues in the entire movie. There's only two subjects I don't talk about music and religion. <laughs> hey, let's not get into this. All right. Hey, let's not get into this. All right. <laughs> uh, a little bit later, Mo, uh, Eric has worn her down <laughs> and they are now fucking, <laughs> um, there is some the, topless nudity the, here. Mo. The song that plays during this scene is particularly painful. It just says, like, new religion, new religion. Like, over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because I, I get it. They were just talking about religion, and now there's going to be a song about religion. And I, oh, Jesus, shut I up. I mean, for Eric, fucking is a religion. Yeah. <laughs> I only have one religion, and then Lord of the fuck. Uh, at one point, the camera is, like, looking at them have sex, and then it just, like, it just pans uh, or tilts up to the ceiling as if it doesn't want to see it anymore. <laughs> I had to agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as they're having sex mode, the camera, I don't, I don't know if this, hold on, I don't know if this happened for you or not, but there actually was a moment because we forgot to mention that Mark has really big hair. He has big, puffy, uh, Mr. Big hair, Mr. Big hair. Yeah. And there was actually a moment where I actually couldn't tell. Who Mo's Mo's pulling his pod and he's like, this is so great. Hey, wait a second. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, my God. Is that Eric? (laughs) All right. Let me just just finish. (laughs) Let me speed up. Um, Let me speed up a little bit. As our couple are having sex, it actually then cuts to the basement where there's a strange bubbling sound. And we see a, a two characters also having sex. The woman is topless. Uh, they're both covered in blood, Mo. And I wrote, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, they pan over to the side and we realize that the bubbling sound was Beelzebub hitting the bong. You know? <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't recognize at the time that this is actually Madley and his wife. They're banging. Uh, blood is pouring out of their mouths as they make out, which is that seems like it'd be unpleasant. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, maybe this says something a little bit about me, but I Please. enjoyed this part way more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, the fact is, I'd watch Demons fucking all day long. Yeah. Just just me? I'm not saying you as a listener of No Budget Nightmares have to enjoy it as much as I do, but I'm just saying I was into it. Yeah, and it's 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 a surprising trend in the movies that we watch how often we watch demons fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's very safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why people listen to the show. <laughs> they come here for the demon fucking. They stay for our sparkling personality. <laughs> yes. The next day, Mo, Laurel, the writer, 
she's driving down what I would describe as an old town road. Um, <laughs> sorry. No comment. <laughs> uh, it holds on her driving for a really, really long time. Yeah, I started. And, I was. I was starting to think I was watching a James Nguyen film. <laughs> then her car breaks down. She lifts up the hood. We get a wide shot of her looking under the hood. She slams it back down. The car won't start. Mo, this is riveting fucking material. She gets her purse, starts walking along this dirt road. She is wearing Mo big dumb sunglasses. It was nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Passes by a weird sculpture. There's a POV shot of maybe someone watching her. Uh, more walking. <laughs> and then she approaches what appears to be uh, an abandoned building. And we get a POV shot of someone watching her. And then as she continues to walk, Mo, we get some weird music playing. And I have captured some of this music to give our audience a sense of what the music sounds like in this movie. By the way, Hot I should mention dog. that at least some of the music in this movie, if not uh, most of it, was composed by the actor who plays Eric in the movie. Cool. Impressed. Well, maybe he composed this. Let's listen. I know Pete. I know Peter Frampton, and you, sir, are no Peter Frampton. <laughs> Do you feel? Um, so eventually she gets to where she's supposed to be, Mo. It's an old trailer. Old trailer, Mo. Ah. She knocks on the door. She says, anybody home? She goes inside as you would. There's a close-up on her feet walking across the carpet like this is some Tarantino movie or some shit. Ah. Uh, she opens a door and something shocks her, Mo. What does she see in this room? Bones. Bones. Bones hanging everywhere. Not the horror movie starring Snoop Dogg. No, it's actual bones, like human remains. They're hanging from the ceiling. What They're does that dead, remind Jim. you? <laughs> what does that remind you of, these bones in this room, Mo? 90% of every other fucking horror movie that's ever well, been Well, yes, Mo, but I do think that there's a movie in particular it's meant to remind you of. And that movie yeah, likely is Texas Chains. Texas Chainsaw Texas Mask. Chain Space Saw Massacre. <laughs> Uh, she's well, she's spooked, uh, but she hears something on the roof. The door slams open, and uh, she runs into a closet. And in this closet, there are some more bones. And there's also yeah, weird pornography. Yeah, there's just yeah, there really was. Um, <laughs> it, it's one of those situations where she gets spooked. She runs to another room to try to hide. There's bones in that room. She gets spooked. She runs to another room to try to hide. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. bones in that room. It gets old. Quick. Eventually, she goes to the bathroom, and in there is what appears to be some sort of mummified corpse, Mo. Sure. And then we get a nice POV, Evil Dead-ish shot of something coming for her. She screams, Mo, and hey, is it the end of the movie? Or what is it, Mo? It's probably something you enjoy very much. (laughs) (laughs) So long-time listeners of the show already know what's about to happen. I mean, I think at this point we mention it every episode. Yeah, we, we, (laughs) we do. Um... Yeah, it was all a dream. It was all a dream, Mo. It did not. Uh, well, I mean, to this movie's credit, it does apply to the rest of the movie. Uh, there is, a, you know, we're this isn't just going to be forgotten. It's not just a non sequitur. We're going to go back to it. Do we have to? We have to, Mo. So a little bit later, after her dream, 
She is working on her novel. She's typing on a typewriter because, again, this is 1990. So while personal computers are around, they're not as prevalent as they are, of course, here in 2019. I have to say, I don't like to criticize this. I feel like I'm splitting hairs. She is typing very unconvincingly. Yeah, it's a serious uh, hunt and peck. Like, and I, she, like, like, here's the thing. Nobody's looking at the fucking page. So just fucking fake it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she is also reading out what she's writing as she's typing it. and she's Like talking, murder she wrote. That's right. She's trying to describe blood spurting. And she says, neon fluid spurting. The laceration spurted bloody fluid. Uh, it's very uh, Garth Marenghi here for a moment. Uh, she's frustrated because she's just she just can't get it. Um, but it's just supposed to reinforce that she has writer's block. That night, she's sleeping, and she wakes up. Once again, she hears some sort of weird noise. She falls back to sleep, wakes up again from a weird noise. She gets up. She goes down to the cellar. Mo, I think the cellar is going to be a very important place for the rest of this movie. Yeah, maybe. I do have to mention, <laughs> as she's walking through the cellar, you can see the windows in the background, and it is clearly daylight outside. So maybe yeah. she, she was taking a day nap, which is not unreasonable. Uh, I mean, these writers make their own hours, right? She wanders through the cellar as if she's in a trance, and she finds a box. She tries to open it, Mo, but it's locked. She grabs a wrench, she whacks it, then opens it. What's inside, Mo? Uh, she pulls out the... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a ring covered yeah. in spikes. It's the spiky ring. Yeah. We do get a shot of a weird creature laughing, maybe. Uh, I don't remember exactly what this was, but I have it in my notes. And then that's it. So she finds the, the ring thing. Uh, the one ring to spike them all, I'll say. <laughs> the next day... Eric is sitting in front of a fan, listening to loud rock music. I guess this is what he does in the other part of the house while she's working. But at the moment, Laurel is just looking out a window. She seems pretty idle. Um, and then she's shocked. She goes into her working room, and she's shocked Mo to discover there are pages all over the floor. Yes, it's very shocking to find pages on the floor of the room that you're working in as a uh, writer. Well, she doesn't have a cat, so it is a little weird to find shit all the time. <laughs> yeah, but she's got windows open, so I mean, I guess, whatever. No, Mo, she, like I said, personal computers were not so popular back then. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. So she does something very unusual, Mo. She gets on her hands and knees, she starts rifling through these papers, and she's surprised at what she sees. This is what she says. And it goes on like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to ask you, my implication was that when she, like, literally, what she was reading, she didn't write. Like, this was, like, something had, had possessed her, she, she was in sort of trance, some sort of trance, and, and something, but is that what we're supposed to take from this? Or it's just that she was writing and has lost all memory of what she was writing previously? No, I'm going to guess that... Um, 
Well, I mean, obviously either could apply, sure. but I'm I'm going to uh, take the side of she was being possessed by, let's say, uh, low rent Blackie Lawless sure. um, to write things that she doesn't remember. You think they would have read some of the things that that were on the sheet as opposed to her just saying, I don't remember writing this. I didn't right. Write like, this. exactly. Like, had she had she started reading like, you know you will suffer pain and torment beyond your imagination. I didn't write this. You know, that would have made a little bit more sense seeing as that becomes the uh, much overused theme for the rest of the film, you know. I mean, look, I can come up with this stuff on the spot. The dark metal is in your flesh. <laughs> right, you know. You are the mother we called for you. You this will heed his word. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, right? You can come yeah. up with this shit. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, <laughs> that, <laughs> night, that night, Laurel is sleeping. She heads down to the basement, or maybe she's dreaming of the basement, and she sees a man down there. It's actually um, Madly. He's, he's no longer covered in blood. He's, uh, he's kind of together. She is confused. She says, who are you? And he says that he's the caretaker, for want of a better term. Uh, he takes care of things while he's away, like he's Torgo or some shit. <laughs> I yeah yeah. I had such fucking Torgo flashbacks during this scene. You know, I take care of things while the master is away. He takes care of us. <laughs> Fuck. So I'm gonna say, and you might disagree, Mo, that the performance of Madly uh, is by far the best performance in this movie. Um, yeah, but that's like saying this piece of shit tastes better than that piece of shit. Look, Mo, for someone like me who's eaten a lot of shit in their time, <laughs> there is a vast difference in terms... Look, I, look if, if you were stuck in a human centipede situation, the person in front of you, you probably are going to be curious about their diet. Here, yeah, well, it looks like the guy's eating greens, maybe a full <laughs> vegan diet, right? You don't want me ahead of you, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> or me. <laughs> That would be impossible, Mo, unless you're somehow your lower half was was twisted around to attach. Hey, you know what? I've got an idea for human centipede four. <laughs> oh my god, this would be such a great porn parody: the blowjob centipede. <laughs> so anyway, let's listen to what Madly oh has god. to say. What do you want? You have been called. What you do you want? I know. You ought to know the sweetness of the metal and the flesh that it thirsts for. Punk Rock tried to kill the metal. He has seen you. <laughs> and you are to be his. He didn't know like grunge is like coming next year. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, 1990 is the year the punk broke. Oh, is it still going? Maybe it's not. I guess that's I, it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Well, frankly, Mr. Madley, uh, you say a bunch of nonsense, but what he's trying to get at, Mo, is that he's part of some weird religion, as we've already referred to, that um, that involves the combination of flesh and metal, both the idea of, of actual physical metal, like the, the uh, crown spiral thing, right. or uh, metal as in the concept of metal music, though that's not really overtly mentioned. Right. Though this movie is supposed to be metal, Mo. Yeah, it's I have a metal. feeling that it's these metal, el- right. that these elements of the plot are, are are supposed to be giving us an idea of of like a Hellraiser type like mixture of S and M and sexuality and horror that sort of thing. Which would have been so much hotter, like 
I mean, just saying. So he tells her that she's going to heed the call of the dark metal. He grabs, uh, she grabs her head and just starts screaming. And suddenly Mo, like, I might be wrong on this. Is it syringes that are poking out of her eyes? It seems like they're like, yeah, the ends of hypodermic needle syringes. Yeah. That's a nice, nice way to say the uh, turkey basters. <laughs> that are just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, they, yeah, they definitely looked like, like those injectors that you yeah. use to put spices into chickens or yeah. turkeys. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. she starts screaming while this, this appears in her eyeballs. Uh, then she wakes up Mo because the whole thing was say it with me, a dream, a dream. <laughs> So a little later, Laurel is typing once again, but she's starting to fall asleep. And then... Yeah, by this point in the movie, so was I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're going to wake up to this, Mo. Wake up to this uh, Daniel Day-Lewis-esque performance from Eric, (laughs) who leans over and scares her. Okay, I've left a lot of this dialogue in, uh, though not as much as I left in on the clip that I put on our Facebook group. In this very short clip, just... Count the number of times they say sorry. <gasps> Jesus fucking Christ, here! You scared the shit out of me. What do you think you're doing barging in like that? Hey now, lady, take it easy. I'm sorry. I mean, I care about you and wanted to see how you're doing, all right? What's the matter? You look like you ate something bad. You startled me. I wasn't expecting someone to come barging through the front door. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. I must have dozed <laughs> off. I've been sleeping like shit lately. <laughs> Oh, well, boy. well, in that clip, three times. Yes, in that short clip, and I will tell you that is not the only times in the in the next couple of seconds after that. Um, she apologizes, as you've heard. Somehow, it's her fault that he leaned closer as she was sleeping and frightened the shit out of her. Jesus, lady! <laughs> it looks like you ate something bad. Uh, so he thinks that she can use some coffee. So she goes, "I'll make it." <laughs> Uh, now, I, I need your opinion on this. Before she Please. leaves the room, Mo, she says something about, I think she's making some sort of crack about hair and lips, like his hair and lips. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Nope. Okay, then we will just forget it. She makes a quip before she leaves, but it is entirely incomprehensible, mostly because her accent is complete garbage. <laughs> Yeah, no, anytime anytime something in this movie was happening that I didn't care about, I started thinking about Wrath of the Skunk Ape. <laughs> so he asks, Eric, Eric asks uh, her if she's adjusting well to living there. Uh, she says that it's lonely, that she hears weird noises coming from the plumbing and her mind starts to play tricks on her. Uh, she a- He asks about the book. She says it's coming along, but nothing is concrete yet, just sketches, which makes no sense if she's in the final fucking chapter of it, Mo. Mm-hmm. Like, what yep. is going on here? Exactly. So she said that she was reading over her previous work and it was like a light went off in her head and like she was seeing the material for the first time. She's thinking of reconstructing the entire novel. Uh, Then it does again cut to the outside of the house. I guess it's just a way to edit around some dialogue. Eric is so fucking angry that she is thinking of reworking this novel. Yeah, he's uh, pissed. He he must be very emotionally involved in the quality of this novel. He, to, to Eric's credit, he thinks that she's very talented. <laughs> Good for you, Eric. Be be a supportive boyfriend. She talks about how she's gonna basically trash it and start over. His response is this. 
What is with you, Laurel? I'd wish you'd remember that you're human and that you live in the world. You know, I'd be the last one to want you to lower your standards to one iota, but it would mean lowering it to bring you within human comprehension. You can't seriously be considering destroying those 13 chapters. It's crazy. It's some of the best. No, it is the best writing I've ever read. Christ, Laurel, you've been writing for 10 years now, and you're just at the doorstep of the goal you've been working towards all your life. And here you're talking about destroying it, and for what? For what possible purpose could you have for doing such a thing? <laughs> that is my favorite piece of dialogue from a movie that I've heard in 2019. Unbelievable my, that someone wrote he, it, that someone memorized it, that someone said it out loud. It is amazing. He says the word human twice and pronounces it differently both times. <laughs> that you're human and you live in this world. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Again, he thinks it's the best piece of writing he's ever read. Remember she now, was talking about like <laughs> fluid spurting out. <laughs> now in fa- in fairness, the only other thing he's ever read were Bazooka, Bazooka Joe comics, but <laughs> but it's the best writing he's ever read. She uh she says something about like why should I work for nothing and he rightfully says uh, you make decent money doing this, but mm. she's found it sheer drudgery lately, Mo. Um, and uh, she doesn't know what it's all for. He thinks Eric thinks that she would lose her mind if she couldn't write. She says she's uh, that he's right. Eventually, because she, she completely comes around on it, um, and she says she she'd either write or she'll lose <clears throat> her mind. And then she starts mm-hmm. talking about how she feels like she's getting older, Mo, and it gets a little sad. You know what I'm talking about? Because again, she could be sixty. <laughs> Twilight years close, and what? I'm getting close to retirement. Um, I'm, I'm about to have a change of life, baby. So Eric is like, he's like, he didn't really understand how much the, the writer's block was hurting her. She doesn't want to discuss it anymore. So uh, she says that she'll show him around since he didn't get a tour the last time he was there because they were too busy fucking. <laughs> so they head down to the basement. Uh, no, they don't. No, they don't. Where do they go? They go to her room. So, hey, they go to her because, room. Because, she, yeah, yeah. so Eric asks for a tour, and she's like, wait, I want to show you this this shit first. Right. And so she brings him into into her room, where he first she shows off what they describe as a fetish mask. Yeah. And, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly knowledgeable of fetishes. I don't particularly have sev- many myself, but... Tell us more, Mo. Uh, no, I'm not okay. going to. I'll get in trouble if All I right. do. <laughs> but I have never seen that kind of mask mask used in any kind of fetish work. It looks like a goddamn plastic Halloween mask. It looks like it a looks plastic like. Halloween mask. We do find out yeah. later it isn't, though it does still kind of look like one, even right. when we find out it's not just cheap plastic. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then what happens? Then, oh my God, this mm-hmm. fucking thing again. Yeah. Could they have picked a better fucking weapon in this fucking movie? I mean, seriously. It is a strangely awkward... Yeah. Like, like, I mean, seriously. You could have picked a fucking Klingon Batleth and it would have been more interesting to look at at the very least. But no, they pick a fucking ring covered in spikes. Yeah. So that's... And that's what we see. This fucking spiked ring again. You are upset. And Eric, the... King of Kings, God amongst men, has says, has has this line to say to us. There was some old crumbled up paper in here oh, too, Jesus and then there was Christ. this. 
Jesus, God, no, that's nasty. That's nasty. You can do some damage with this thing. What do you think it's used for? I don't know. Man, I don't even like to touch it. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I feel about my penis. I, <laughs> me too. Um, <laughs> ah. I like how Eric's like mental maturity is very... It, it, it seems like he's about as smart as he looks, which is not a comment on the actor necessarily. But, you know, he... The fact that he he supports her so much and and thinks that her writing is so good, it's actually kind of sweet if you look at it from the perspective of him just being sure. a complete dumbass. Yeah, absolutely. So he's not a big fan of this fetish gear. Um, <laughs> this fetish gear. <laughs> <laughs> so she's talking about the the ring with the uh, the the nails spikes. coming out. spikes. Yeah. yeah, she says that she's gonna she's thinking about going to the library to research it or bring it to an antique dealer. Uh, and Eric thinks that the owners must have been some weird cats. Uh, and we do see someone's hand covered in leather briefly. But then it cuts to the out of doors. Eric, he wants to spend the night, Mo. You know why? Because he wants to fuck. Yeah, he wants to fuck. Uh, but she says she can't be distracted right now. Um, and he goes, you're not serious about throwing your no- novel away. And she's like, you know, you're right. You know, they probably would have been fucking idiotic to throw out 13 chapters just because I have a bit of writer's block. Uh, he asks about coming tomorrow. She says she can't because she's going to the Winter Garden, Mo, because she promised Mork she would do a follow-up piece for him. What does that mean, Mo? Is she also a reporter? What 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 piece a, is she doing here? A, I have no fucking idea what the fuck she's talking about. Um, B, they could have... I mean, I understand this is setting up for a future scene, uh-huh. but they could have honestly... She could have honestly just said... You know, well, I can't tomorrow. I'm doing this thing with Mork. Mork? Uh, how, how about the day after? Instead, they like they literally like, how about this day? No, I can't do this. Well, how about this day? I can't do that. Well, what about the day after that? Okay. The thing that she says, by the way. <laughs> Mork? She says to Eric, we could go into town for dinner. Maybe find a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right for Eric. <laughs> so he leaves. She goes back inside. We'll so later, Mo. Filet of fish. <laughs> later, she is. Uh, can I have a big moat? Uh, so a little Mark. bit later, she's sitting at the typewriter, still frustrated. She starts hammering it. She's like pounding her fists on it. And then later, later still, she's laying in bed and she's looking at this this uh, circular metal piece with the nails. She's caressing it. And later still, she's sleeping. She wakes up, the mask in the foreground. She gets up and puts on the mask. What's the mask of? A face. Like some kind of demonic looking face. You know know what it actually almost kind of looks like? I have it looks Uh, like a kitty cat. But yes, please continue. It, it it looks yeah well I, I get that I I think there's I think it's supposed to be horns but it definitely looks more like cat ears so 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 okay so tell me if I'm wrong here but but now oh, ima- I will. imagine imagine the Jason X mask with <laughs> with with cat ears and tell okay. me it doesn't it doesn't look like that I can see that I guess okay. <laughs> So she puts on this mask and she suddenly has some sort of weird vision where this she is has, my favorite part of the entire movie, by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, it, I wish there was a little bit more kind of uh, odd fantasy sequences like this. Right. Yeah. We suddenly see her, Mo, and she is because <laughs> we're, we're such perverts that we like, that's all we care about is odd yeah. fantasy sequences. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, hey, absolutely. 
Look, I know what I like. Oh, you know, you know who, you know who would really love this scene. I know who you're going to say. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> Bilzebub. Bilzebub. You know what he loves more than anything? Women fetishly crucified. Because that's what we have here. We see uh, Laurel. Wait, is her name Laurel? Or Laurel? Yeah, it's Laurel. Laurel. <laughs> we see Laurel, and she's been crucified. She's been nailed to a piece of wood. She is spitting up blood as zombies. I would say, Mo, bite her legs and face. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a cool effect. Yeah, I I dig it. I dig it. It's it's the only time in the movie I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. The mixture of of horror and religion is something I can get behind. I don't Absolutely. think it's very well developed in this movie, but I'm no. glad that they at least tried something with that. Sure. Hey, you know what? I mean, it's it's sacrilegious. I I'm going to support that 100 percent of the time. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So uh, it cuts back to her. She's still looking in a mirror. With that I like to say on. it's. I like to say it's sacrilegious. Yes, I know you do, Mo. Uh, <laughs> she's looking in a mirror. It cuts back and forth between her fantasy, and she drops the mask, and it breaks, Mo. It shatters. Later, she's now back you, in. Hold on. Now, now, now you think that this might mean something? Yes. It doesn't. It's her fragile sanity breaking in front of our very eyes. Sure, but that's uh-huh. that. But that's the the mind of. Part pardon the compliment because you know I don't really mean it, but but that's the mind of an intellectual, uh-huh. look at looking at this and saying, oh well, this is what it is, but it's not. It's just her breaking the fucking mask. She broke the mask uh, later. She's I, back- I I think I think what it's used, and I'm sorry I keep cutting you off. It's okay. What it's used for is to prove that the shit that's going on in her dreams is kind of happening in real life too right 100 percent. so yeah. later she's back in bed she then gets up and sees the broken mask on the floor she seems shocked by it as if she didn't remember what happened earlier and like right. the average white band she picks up the pieces <laughs> good lord that is a reference <laughs> and then she says this Oh God! What's happening to me? Oh God! What's happening to me? <laughs> Look, it's not like our accents are not also unpleasant to listen to, Mo. She had a. First off, I'm from New England. I don't have an accent. Um, <laughs> that was a little Edith Bunker there. Yeah, you know. Oh, Archie! Oh, Archie! The next day, we see a guitar laying on a bed, which suggests that this is the house of Eric. (laughs) Oh, I just assumed that he likes to fuck guitars. Well, of course. Um, How else would you get close to it? How else will you master the two-hand tapping? (laughs) He he starts to... He just mounted on your dick. (laughs) (laughs) He starts to convulse a little bit, like he's having a seizure. Uh, He grips the blanket. And then it cuts to... Madly, from the beginning, he's holding the uh, the metal piece, uh, and it still seems to be controlling him. He brings it closer to his own face. He's standing in his black underwear above a woman who seems frightened. I'll refer to her as Mrs. Madly for the rest of this, because I'm not sure what her actual name is. Though, I guess her name is Amanda, I think. Her name's Amanda, to... yeah. Because okay. he, he, says, he says something about... Uh... Uh, you know, Amanda, I need to cut her up, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I was too I was too distracted by his French cut black underwear, but hey, yeah. 
you know what? He's going for it. I'll, yeah, I'll he, give him. I'll give him credit. He looks kind of good in him. So yeah. Hey, so Amanda him. screams, and he jams the the metal spike thing into her, and blood squirts up everywhere. Uh, and this Hot. is what confirmed to me for the first time in this movie that he is Madly, and that is Madly's uh, wife or girlfriend, Amanda. Indeed. That'll become important. Just you wait. <laughs> Do I have to? A phone rings, Mo, and Eric picks up. It's Laurel on the other end. She says hi. She asks if he can come over and see her and says, I love you. And he goes, I love you too. Bye. They're very sweet, Mo. They have a sweet relationship. It's a, it's a shame that soon he'll have to bring her to Shady Pines to live out the rest of her day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, we see Laurel. She's walking through a building. I didn't know what was going on here, Mo, but I guess... This is the Winter Garden, something that was referred to in that earlier scene, which I guess we're supposed to know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, a sign would have been nice. But what is a Winter Garden? I don't know. So she's going to do something with the Winter Garden, I guess right on it. She doesn't seem to be like, you know, taking notes or anything. Well, she she does give, that gives a suggestion that she's going to go into the midst of it um, and and take notes on it. She... She goes up a flight of stairs, she takes out the notepad, she looks around, then holds her head and just falls on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, at least it was in another location, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) So, Did you get the the feeling that they were stealing that shot? Oh, yeah, like they didn't have permission. Like they absolutely didn't have permission to be there. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I like that shit. That's good by me. Guerrilla filmmaking. That's very Larry Cohen. I hope that they didn't have permission, because otherwise they should have made better use of that location. (laughs) You might be confused, by the way, listeners. Hey, I thought she just called Eric to come on over. How come she's at this place? Oh, my God. It must be some kind of ruse. I was confused as well, but just Mm. you wait. Eric knocks on her door, Mo. Nobody answers, so he lets himself in, as he is wont to do. As you do, yeah. He goes into her bedroom, finds a blood stain on her bed, sticks his finger in it, Mo, as if there's no possibility that it's period blood. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she's, you know, she she's passed that. <laughs> oh, God, I'm an asshole. Oh, you think she passed out because of hot flashes in the most recent scene? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're being we unkind are, to this We are man. fucking scum. <laughs> What's this wee stuff? <laughs> okay, fine. I'm fucking scum. Uh, yeah, look, I'm more woke because I said it could be period blood. <laughs> True. So Eric looks around the house. Uh, it gives us a good look at Eric. I was just, it just reinforced that this guy looks fucking ridiculous. Yeah, he does. And then suddenly a woman appears behind him and she says, Oh, I love this <sighs> So glad you got my message, part time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's such a great line. Yeah, it's actually good. It's actually delivered pretty well too. Yeah. Uh, this is this is Amanda, uh, the person that was sacrificed by Madly. Uh, she's returned, and now I guess she's helping him out. So here's the thing, you know, they say that he chopped her up and then stitched her body back together. Yeah. Don't don't you think it might have been a little cooler like if she had like stitch marks on yeah, her? Yeah, she was like, she was all franken hookered up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. exactly. You know, want a date? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh I, it would have been yeah. awesome. 
well, I mean, I can understand how that would have been a lot of effort. <laughs> and there is some interesting makeup that we see uh, because Madly appears in front of Eric. Oh, with his fucking bloody vagina face? He does have a bloody vagina face, I would say. <laughs> he mentioned that they are servants of the dark god. He who is god of all things sharp that draw blood. He refers to Eric as an overripe bag of fluids in need of evisceration. And hey, I can't argue. <laughs> uh, he, he goes on and on, Mo. In fact, on and on to the extent where I've written down one of his monologues. Allow me to say it. Oh, please. <clears throat> I called forth these gods, and one of them answered my call. I believed that I could summon the Dark Lord from his domain and bend him to my will. I believed I could force him to do my bidding. Oh, proud, vain, vile little bag of fluids I was. A fool, and even worse, a sinner. But the Lord is merciful, and he showed me the way. It was filled with pain, agonies undreamed of by any before us, but we were rewarded. The Dark Lord has made my wife and I his eternal companions, and now he extends the same honor to you. Oh, there will be such pain, such exquisite agonies. Salvation is such a painful thing. My wife and I are prepared, but first you are to drink of the milk of human intolerance. All praise the Dark Trilogy. That's right. And then she spits blood into Eric's mouth. It's kind of hot. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, Eric, <laughs> again, he madly is sort of pinhead-ish, I, I would say. You know, the very much, you know... He's Pinhead Light, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pinhead Light. Let's let's go with it. Laurel, he's just home. a Pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> he don't want to be a Pinhead no more. Wow. Uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Man, our references are on fucking point tonight. <laughs> on point. It's why people listen to the show. Yeah. Laurel returns home. Uh, she immediately calls to make an appointment at the doctor's because she uh, suffered a dizzy spell, which we just saw. The doctor won't be in till tomorrow, so she'll says she says she'll she'll call again if it happens. Guess she has pretty good insurance through her uh, publishing company. <laughs> sits yes, down to that, her, that's what writers are known for. They're good she insurance. Sits, she sits down to her typewriter, uh, but then gets up, goes into the bedroom, strips down to her underwear mo. As you do. Then she picks up this uh, the metal with the spikes and she caresses it. Then she goes into the living room, reads over some of her writing. I mean, this is just fucking engaging shit. She hears a pounding sound from the cellar, Mo. Yes. Yes, she does. <laughs> so she she goes down to the cellar. I can as I was watching this part, I was like, well, Mo's watching this in double speed. There's no way he's enjoying her walk through the cellar very slowly. I can I can I confess something? Oh, there, please, Mo. I'm your there, father confessor. There is not a second of this movie that I didn't watch at one time speed. Oh, I, I started the movie at 1.3 and just kept hitting that button up as the movie progressed. By the time I was done, I believe I was watching it at 1.8 speed, which is not quite the fastest I've ever watched a movie, but very close. You do rely on me to take my detailed notes watching it at the speed in which it was intended. Uh, I take detailed enough notes. I mean, like there was literally nothing going on, so it wasn't. I just very wrote hard down a up. lengthy monologue <laughs> and recited yeah. it back. <laughs> you, sh you sure did, because I wasn't about to. So she goes down uh, into the cellar. A bright light shines on her, and she sees madly. And he says, "Hello, Laurel. You have." So much to discuss. 
She it's, screams, runs back it, upstairs. It, mm-hmm. It's very it's very close to saying something to the effect of, oh, the sights I have to yes. show you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's hard not to think about it. Remember, uh, this came out, I guess it would have been before Hellraiser 2, certainly after the first one from 1987. But, hey, you know, Hellraiser was, was in the public consciousness at the very least. Sure. So she runs upstairs, tries to get out of her own house, but all the doors are locked. Uh, he says, the doors will not open for you, Laurel. We are in control. Uh, she goes into But then the room. door opens! Yeah. <laughs> so he talks to her about the flesh and metal and blood. Uh, he goes, I can smell you, Laurel. The sharp, sour stench. Not a very nice thing to say. She did faint earlier. Anyone would smell a little bad after that. <laughs> <laughs> so she's... She, uh, he goes into a room, he can't find her, but she's hiding in the closet behind him, and she comes out, and she takes the spiked crown thing, and she stabs him with it, Mo, and he falls down, and I guess he's dead, so she stabs him again and again as blood squirts up against the wall. That is the effect this movie likes most, by the way. Someone stabbing something off screen, and blood just squirting all over the place. It works, whatever. I do have to say, it does show blood squirting against the wall, and it looks a little watery, I would say. <laughs> you know what they should have added? A little uh, chunky peanut butter would have uh, would have given a little consistency, I would say. Ew. Ew? But I mean, you're right, but ew. Yeah. Well, what she relaxes. Of, what a waste of chunky peanut butter. Well, you can still use it. Uh, yeah, okay. So she relaxes after murdering madly, but then the door behind her opens. It's, uh, what's her name again? Amanda. Amanda. And she comes up behind Laura and s- Laurel. <laughs> she comes up behind Laurel and says this. I'm gonna squeeze her <coughs> fucking head till <coughs> I don't want to say this because it's a little too late. I would say a little bit too late. But I kind of wish the actress who played Amanda ended up being the one who played Laurel. Yeah. She has a little bit more conviction, I would say. Right, but maybe it's just because she plays evil better. It's a little easier, I would say. You're probably yeah. right. You know, but I mean, it's like it's like professional wrestling to go back to there. They always say it's much easier to play the heel than the face. So, right, you know, well, same idea. Well, Amanda's a quality heel here, um, <laughs> <laughs> but she takes the fall in this one because Laurel stabs her with the crown. Uh, from behind her, like, like stabs her in the back. She falls down, gripping her neck. Oh yeah, she gets stabbed in the neck. That's right. And yeah, so she she's... grabs her neck as it bleeds out. We see what, uh, blood squirt up. Um, Laurel, she gets up with the crown, and Amanda dies. So our two villains, uh, Madly and his wife, they're down for the count. The threat is the over. The end. The end. Hot except, dog. Except no. <laughs> There's still a little bit to go. Uh, not a lot, actually, but a little bit. There's two more surprisingly easy deaths to take place. <laughs> so Laurel walks out of the room. She's covered in blood, uh, except not on her face at all for some reason. She hears a noise, and she thinks it's Eric. She calls his name. She says, Eric. She goes back into the cellar, which is might be the stupidest thing she could possibly do. Yep. She doesn't call the police. She, she goes into the cellar. Occasionally, I should mention, I don't know if I mentioned at the beginning, like, Every once in a while, the camera will change to a different angle and the quality of the video will just plummet. Like, it's really, really bad. I I give Tony credit that they're working with the resources that they had available. It's not like it's incomprehensibly bad, but it certainly is noticeably worse sometimes. Yeah. So, she's looking for Eric in the basement. And then from behind her... (laughs) And then from behind her, Mo, who appears? (gasps) Eric. Now, what you said before, Mo, comes into play here. Being a good guy, being a good guy, Eric Metalhead, 
That's a hard performance. Thankfully, he's now like a zombie Eric, and he gets to say this. Laurel, the agony, the pain. Let's make love just one last time. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a man who is designed to be a face. Now, <laughs> Good now, lord. Now, wait, I'm going to play it again. Now imagine Nicolas Cage saying these lines. Whoa. <laughs> the agony. The pain. Wow. Let's make love. Let's make love just one last Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, I closed my eyes while I was listening to that and pictured Nicolas Cage saying <laughs> it. And fuck me. That is a perfect Nick Cage line. <laughs> So um, he kisses her, uh, drips blood all over her, and then what happens, Mo? Uh, she pulls out his guts. Yeah, rips his guts out. They fall to the floor. Uh, he falls down, apparently dead, with a big gash on his chest. And I said apparently there. Keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> she tries to leave. He grabs her foot and crawls over her. So what does she do then, Mo? Well, I mean, she does what any reasonable person would do in that situation, and she pulls a uh, gelatin gummy heart out of his chest. Uh-huh. And throws it comically at him. <laughs> uh, shaking, she goes back upstairs, closes the door to the cellar, which is a very good move, goes into the living room, and again, seems very upset, very much covered in blood now, even her face. She very much around. still not, not calling the cops. That's right. She turns around suddenly. Nothing's there. She turns around again. Nothing is there. But then a big... Metal guy appears behind her, Mo. Who is this dude? Oh, this is low-rent Blackly Lawless. So, <laughs> this is supposed to be the dark metal god who's basically been controlling this whole situation. He looks like he he looks like uh, Thor, but yeah. with dark hair. That's exactly. I was just gonna say he looks like John Michael Thor. Yeah, he um, looks just he looks just like John Michael Thor. In fact, I almost wish they had gotten John Michael Thor to play this, but <laughs> I, I understand, you know, he was well, he no, asks he was, a lot. He, yeah, he asks a lot. He's like, like I'll he, only do it if you give me five hot water bottles I can blow up on stage. Yeah, like I mean I, I demand a minimum of fifteen costume changes. <laughs> but I want to wear them all at the same time and take them off one at a time after each line. <laughs> so Laura uh, uh, encounters the dark god He has this to say Laurel <laughs> Your terror is like an aphrodisiac Oh boy <laughs> Sweet, sweet girl I am the dark god I am a evolving shop Which draw blood You did so well Laurel Killing my disciples like that You pleased me And surprised me I knew I had made the right choice in choosing you. Yeah, so that's what he's all about. <laughs> yeah. And then he fucks her like a beast. No, Mo, he doesn't. He is going oh. to show her such wondrous, pain-filled pleasures, he says. He wants to marry her. Sure. Basically, he's a dark god. He wants to marry Laurel. Why would he want to do that? I don't know. Because she's spooky. Because she has these spooky stories in her brain, I guess. I don't know. Is that enough of a reason? Sure. Uh, okay. Sure. So uh, she she tries to run away, but the door is locked once again, which leads him to say, "You're mine, Laurel, now and forever." <laughs> so, or at least for another minute and a half. And now we get the twist, Mo. 
the big twist of the movie. So if you have not seen Metal Noir yet, um, this is a big old twist. She turns around and suddenly she's outside that trailer. Remember the trailer from that uh, dream she had earlier, Mo? Oh, yeah. She says, my God. She goes up to the door and goes inside. Who she says, is this is it? not my beautiful house. <laughs> <laughs> Who is inside this trailer, Mo? Well, inside the trailer, we've got Mrs. Dodd. Who's that? And, and Mook! And Mook! Who's Mrs. Dodd? The uh, realtor from the beginning of the movie. And I apologize I, to anybody who just had to listen to me scream, Mock! I have to I say, Mo, really loud. I have to say, until you just said that, I did not recognize that this was the realtor from the beginning of the movie. I was like, who is this character? That's funny. That is kind of funny. And I do pay attention, folks. And look, despite the impression I give on this podcast... I'm not a complete idiot. <laughs> but I obviously was not paying close enough attention. They are literally the only other characters that they encountered in this entire movie. So, of course, they're here at the end. Yeah. So, we have Mork and we have Mrs. Dodd. And, and Mindy. <laughs> and they reveal that they are part of this mass conspiracy. In fact, the entire town she lives in is part of it. They're all part of this religion led by this dark god. Um, and in fact, let's let let's let the greatest actress, Mrs. Dodd, let's let her explain it. One by one we have all gone the way of pain and have embraced the dark trilogy. Ever since Madly called forth he, who was of all things sharp which draw blood from that world beyond this. I was brought into the fold many years ago. The pain was beyond bearing. But I finally saw the light. So that was Mark there at the end. We got a little sense of what his performance is like. And now, I promised it, Mo. Laurel. Now, don't take our word for it. What name does it sound like she's saying in this clip? You did this, Mort. How could you do this to me? How could you? Maybe it's Mort. Maybe it's Mort. I guess that makes sense because it's like death, I'm sticking with Mork. Mork? All right, good. <laughs> you know, and then, but and you see what happens after this is, is Mork uh, tells, tells Laurel that in the back of the trailer, there is a giant egg that he's been incubating and inside of it is <laughs> Jonathan Winters. Is Jonathan Winters. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Mo, we're so old. It's unbelievable. <laughs> God, I hope there's so, I hope there's at least a few Nick at Night watchers <laughs> in this fucking audience. So Mork says that uh, her disappearance means that interest in her books will skyrocket. Um, he lifts up his hand. And remember that syringe th- that was coming out of her eyes earlier? Now it's coming out of his, his hand. Yay. I don't really know what that's supposed to mean, but I like this melding of flesh and, well, not metal, but something. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like it's like Tetsuo the Iron yeah, Man. it's like Tetsuo the Iron Man, which I actually think was something they were directly referencing here. Yeah, it's too bad they couldn't have done a better job of referencing it. So Mrs. Cause Dodd's... Because that's a fucking great movie. Can yeah, I go and watch great. that one? And honestly, the, the probably the budget was about the same, so... What do you <laughs> <do>? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Mrs. Dodd says that she should be honored. Then something, like, bursts out of her shoulder. It's like a piece of metal. And I like that, too. Again, metal, uh, like, bursting out of their flesh. It's exactly like that uh, Mr. Madley was saying. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. It's a cheap effect, and it's effective. Yeah. I mean... It's fine. It it yeah. worked, but fuck, man. 
Well, Laurel then screams, Mo, and then what happens? I don't know. I stopped taking notes at this point. <laughs> she honestly. wakes up, Mo. She wakes up. At this oh. point, I think we can safely say that some of her fantasies are actual reality. She wakes up and she has been tied up in the cellar of her house. Yeah, my notes literally at this point just say, this This is all just so stupid. <laughs> Mo, there's not much to go. Like there really uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's like a minute and a half left of the film. She's tied up in the basement. Uh, the the metal god is there. In fact, in case you don't remember who he is, he says, I am the god of dark metal. <laughs> the switchblade that clicks and slashes in the night. The razor that opens the vein. The shard of glass that rends the throat and brings on the outpourings of fluid. Outpourings of fluid. That's what she was looking to write earlier. That's what she should have written. Yeah, that's <laughs> way better than what she wrote. Um, so he brings Eric, the dark god, he brings Eric back to life. And he sits up and he has a big chest wound. And he picks up the, 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 the stabby crown thing. This guy, the dark god, goes on a monologue. And as he's doing that, Eric, who I guess in his zombie form still has some sort of, Like, this is kind of strange. There's no suggestion that Eric has any consciousness. Like, why would he allow him any uh, free will in regards to his zombie form? But right. apparently he cares enough about Laurel that he's going to overcome his the fact that he's dead to stab the Dark Lord in the back. The Dark Lord's reaction is classic, he says. You dare! <laughs> um, he pulls it out of his back. Uh, he throws it down. He starts to scream and he goes, You will always be with me, Laurel! And he falls down and he's dead, Mo. Presumably. She, uh, presumably, you're very good point. She, at least uh, until at least until Metal Noir Two, Electric Boogaloo. She immediately escapes, grabs the crown, and the movie fades to black, and that is it. <laughs> That's Metal oh. Noir from the year 1990, Mo. Uh, a very metal movie, as the title would imply, uh, both in terms of the uh, suggestion that metal piercing flesh, but also metal music. Uh, it's very much of the uh, era right before. Grunge destroyed metal once and for all, and now no one talks about it anymore. Now, if only people would stop talking about grunge. Hey, now! You're an all-star. <laughs> uh, Mo, yeah. my understanding from talking to you and maybe hearing you comment on the film is that you did not enjoy Metal Noir very much. Look, I, you know, mm -hmm. I understand I understand the part of this show is it, it, a surprisingly large part part of this show is uh -huh. wa wa watching movies we may not particularly care for and this was one of them uh, for me at least i there there was there was so much wrong with it that i i just i couldn't i couldn't with it and the irony is that a lot of like the stuff that happened in this movie should have been stuff I, I would have enjoyed, but there was yeah, just actually that's that. This is what's surprising me the most. It does yeah. kind of seem like it's tuned to your sensibilities. It, and, and normally it would be, but there's just so much about it that I didn't like that. I couldn't really forgive the stuff I didn't like for the sake of the couple of things I did, you know, like, I mean, let's put it this way. I would argue that most 
of the movies we watch, there needs to be about like 20%. That's, and that's a fucking minimum. Sure. 20, 20% of shit in the movie that I enjoyed. But even for a movie, and that includes length of the movie, you know, so that this one gets that one for me. You know, it's it's like 70 minutes long. Yeah. Which is which is great, you know, <laughs> for this movie. That's a that's a great amount of time. Um, there's that crucifixion scene, which I fucking loved. Mm-hmm. There was the line delivery from Amanda that I fucking loved. You know, but honestly, that it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to be like, okay, I can forgive the bad stuff for the stuff that I liked. It was just like, they should have gone overboard with more shit. And honestly, a lot of it, and I hate to say it, was the mm-hmm. fucking metal god. I hated him so wow, much. Interesting. I'm like, and like, he's a fucking god. And it mm-hmm. took one hit to kill him i I don't think he should have hung around uh in a room with the one implement that could easily kill him probably not a good plan in retrospect yeah Um, though i do have to say when it comes to your opinion on the movie i only have one thing to say mo you uh i i definitely enjoy this movie more than you while recognizing that this is the kind of thing that you have to have watched a good bit of shot on video cinema to be able to appreciate really anything that happens in this movie. It is not. Here's what I'm going to say. Despite my opinion of this thing, knowing our audience, I will say that, that I'm definitely going to be in the minority on this one. I think a lot of our listeners who enjoy this style of film, which I'd like to presume is all of them, um, will probably enjoy this. I mean, if you like way, the early work, yeah, of Todd way Sheets, more than me. Yeah. Or if you like something like Death Metal Zombies, you're probably going to enjoy this. It is not a movie that takes itself too seriously, though it's not very. There isn't much humor in it, but uh, at least intentional humor. But I think what, there's a, enough oddness to it that you I know, think you, mm-hmm. you know what I think it's lacking is charm. I could, see you know, that. yeah, like so, like because you mentioned like the early works of Todd sheets or like death metal zombies and stuff like that. And those are thoroughly enjoyable movies because they're charming in their ineptitude. And it's fu- And that's fine. Charm will take a movie a long way. Like they have, like, I don't feel like, like I'll give a lot of credit for a movie. If they feel, if it feels to me like they're having a lot of fun making it. Sure. And, and I just didn't get that with this one. It just seemed like they were, go- they were in there. They were right in their lines. The only per- the only character who really seemed like he was having a blast with his role was Eric. Yeah. You know, though, I don't know if he necessarily knew what was going on. At any yeah. Particular time. <laughs> um, I like the fact that this is a female led movie, though. I have mm. to say, if Eric was the lead character instead, like a befuddled metalhead, there's sure. a part of me that thinks that this movie would be much, much more entertaining. But then that would have just been shock him dead. Yeah. Like I said, much more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you, listener, want to pick up a copy of Metal Noir, you can do so at SOVHorror.com. As I mentioned before, two audio commentaries, uh, behind-the-scenes stills gallery, a trailer, trailers for other releases, and um, a, a making of Hugh Gallagher's Gore Trilogy uh, as put together by Tony Masiello. Very worthwhile package. And again, you want to support 
Shout out Video Cinema. I think this is one worth picking up. Uh, it's a super limited edition. Go over to SOVHorror.com to check it out if you wish. I know some listeners of the show have already picked up their copies. They wanted to appreciate it along with us over at No Budget Nightmares. And uh, I want to thank Tony for uh, for bringing it to our attention. Right. Uh, and I give and I give a ton of credit to Tony. I think he did a great job putting it together. Um, you know, given the material he had. And I also believe that uh that people should go and pick it up. It's it's a rarity, it's it's a, a unique piece and probably worth owning. You know? <laughs> I I I just didn't particularly enjoy it. And and that's fine. Everybody's allowed to have their opinions. Nope. Except for me, I'm not allowed to have my my you own opinion. Dare? Yeah, you dare? Uh, but that please. It is what it is. It is what it is. Go it ahead. is what it is. The classic review from No Budget Nightmares. Put it on the cover. It is what it is. Mo, that was Metal Noir from the year 1990. Uh, yes. What are we going to watch on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares? I got to tell you. Huh. This is a movie that we have talked about many, many times. It is a follow-up to a movie that we covered way early on the show. Not necessarily a sequel, but a follow-up. Yes. And I'm looking at it right now, Mo. Episode 8 of No Budget Nightmares. Yeah, episode 8. That was seven years ago. Maybe eight years ago at this point. I don't know. It uh, it is from... uh, Boy, I thought I was just going to be able to jump right into it. I believe it's August of 2011. So, yes, uh, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Eight years in the making. I am extremely excited because this is the one movie in the entirety of our show that I've changed my mind about. Mm. This is our follow-up to So Mord It Be, Pantheon Black. Finally, it's finally Fabian Rush's Pantheon Black from the year 2010. Longtime listeners of the show might remember that I actually announced that we were going to cover this a long time back and then realize afterwards, hey, I don't actually own a copy of it. Right now. Now, Mo, I do. And I want to write that wrong on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares. We will be discussing 2010's Pantheon Black. We are we are. Hey, we keep our promises. It only takes years and fucking years to keep them. It's true. Pantheon Black, I'm excited, Mo. Uh, I'm excited. Hopefully I'm my excitement excited. will be rewarded. I will say that I've like skimmed through it a little bit. This looks like a very unique movie. A lot of special effects, science fiction. I'm very curious to see what we have. Me too. Mo! Yes? Where can people find out more about No Budget Nightmares on the internet? Oh, well, I mean, if they want to go on to this thing that all the kids are doing now. Uh-huh. In, f- in fact, I think that's absolutely 100% false. I think uh-huh. they're all doing exactly TikTok now, um, what, whatever that is. Um, they can hop Fortnite. over on the fate. <laughs> yeah, Fortnite. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm, saying I'm, words that I'm I hear about here, on the internet. Lil Nas X. Flossing. Oh, yeah. Um, whatever, that, whatever that means. Uh they can hop over onto Facebook and do a search for No Budget Nightmares or just go to facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares, all one word, and, uh, you know, join the community. Pop on, have a have a bit of conversation with like-minded weirdos and, you know, and, and maybe get to talk to uh, some 
you know, low budget filmmakers you never thought you'd have a conversation with before. Uh, there is a lot of great conversation that takes place on our Facebook group. I really do recommend that if you are a listener to the show that you sign up over there. Of course, you can also sign up to our Discord server. Uh, speaking of mm. what you were just referring to, Darren Ward, the director of Sudden Fury, which we covered on our most recent episode, he popped into the Facebook group to tell us that he enjoyed the episode and to answer a few questions about it and to give us a you- little sneak uh, peek. Uh, not a visual one, but it <laughs> was writing that uh, the lead character of that movie, uh, Walker will be returning in his next feature, which he's working on right now. Waka, it's time Waka! to die! I'll see you in Valhalla! <laughs> so that, I mean, that was very nice. Again, I, I love when uh, the creators of these works, uh, they appreciate that we are not here, uh, except Mo. I mean, Mo sometimes is just there to put the work down and really... Uh, <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> really demean the amount of effort that they put into it. But here, I am. I, I'm a lifter. I punch up, you punch down. That's just the way things work. It's like a classic Abbott and Costello routine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, uh, Darren Ward did show up over on our Facebook group. The creators sometimes poke around there. Why don't you go and, and let your opinion known on both our show? Hey, if you have any questions, we'll answer them there as well. We also have a Discord server that you can sign up to where uh, we're for sure going to do another stream on that uh, in the very near future why don't you go over to nobudgetpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show we're on spotify we're on itunes you can even support us via patreon it's always great to uh to allow us to buy more films to uh choose a film uh, that 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 you want us to cover you can do that through there as well uh you can always make recommendations regarding that uh even without the patreon support over on facebook group as well just recently there was a thread about the most obscure shot on video and micro budget cinema that you have uh experienced that is one of the best threads i think we've seen on our facebook group lots of amazing recommendations amazing yeah Um, and and it and it reminded me of a couple of weird filipino action films that i had forgotten that i owned yeah you know what? Only good things happen on the No Budget Nightmares Facebook page. I'm just going to say it. Mm-hmm. Well, where can people find you on Twitter? I mean, I guess... <laughs> I, I guess they could find me on Twitter. I'm at uh, DrunkOnVHS. I post and about I am, three times a year. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you don't want to miss them. And I yeah. am at Doug underscore Chili. That's T-I-L-L-E. E-Y. Why? But what you watch lately? Anything good? Anything good you've been watching? Um... Fuck it. I watched Battle Royale uh, the other day. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me the plot. What's this about again? (laughs) It's it's Hunger Games. Oh, Uh, uh, now I get it. (laughs) Uh, Fawn had never seen it. So uh, I'm like, well, we we need to remedy this this situation. So uh, so we popped that on. She enjoyed it. Um, Did you then uh, toss on the sequel Battle Royale 2? Oh God, no! In, in fact, in fact, I went out of my way to say we're never watching Battle Royale two ever. Um, but that's one of my favorite movies, so that that one's an easy one to watch. We've been watching a lot of TV shows. Uh, the names of literally all of them are escaping me at the moment, but um, because, like, honestly, like there, there's okay. So there's like a big five week event happening right now in Monster Hunter. So I've been playing Monster Hunter basically nonstop. You know, any like any chance I have that I'm not like hanging out with Fawn or working or prepping for this show, um, I'm that's what I'm doing. The okay. end. That that's all. <laughs> that's literally all I've all I've been doing. I thought there was more coming, but apparently there wasn't. Uh uh-uh. uh. 
Uh, well, I, mean, I mean, that's. I a, I'm glad. I lead a simple life. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing things that you find enjoyable. You know what I find enjoyable, Mo? Watching movies. Yeah, I remember when I used to like that. I still do, Mo. Recently, I've been watching a lot of silent movies. Uh, I'm just trying to catch up on some of the silent classics I've never seen before, including Sergei Eisenstein's Strike, uh, as well as La Rue. See now, now you're talking. Now you're talking my fucking language. I'm, I'm I'm actually dying to 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 find out what what you've been up to as far as that's concerned because that that's one of my that's one of my favorite genres i love silent films i love i watched uh, hacks and uh witchcraft of the ages oh i love it yeah i've been watching a lot of that stuff uh i also been watching on the criterion channel i may have mentioned on the most recent episode i'm going through their alec guinness collection i've almost completed it and i better because uh in less than two weeks some of them are coming off the the channel entirely it's one of the things i like most about the criterion channel which is that the material isn't there for a lengthy uh, period of time, so it right. kind of pushes you to watch it as opposed to on Netflix where I have stuff that I'm like, oh, I'll get to it eventually and just never do. But no, I've, I've been really enjoying that. The problem with, uh, the, the again, I don't want to talk about the Criterion Channel for too long, is that they keep adding collections of stuff. Like they have a collection of uh, Jack Cardiff uh, movies where he did cinematography before. They did a huge uh, Akira Kurosawa collection. They've done mm. now a giant Werner Herzog collection. And it's just like, mm. I want to watch all of this stuff. Right, and, right. And I worry that by the time I get, like, because I want to be a completist and watch an entire collection, I'm missing out on so much more. Um, I also like the idea that, um, even though it was very sad that D.A. Pennebaker died just recently, they immediately put a bunch of his films up on there uh, so people can appreciate his work. I like that it has that sort of connection to the history of cinema because we don't really have streaming services that celebrate it. Uh, and, and even the most popular ones don't have a lot of films before, say, 1970. So I like True. it. If, if you are into that kind of thing, it's the kind of thing you're into. Mm. And I did give you my login, Mo, so why don't you appreciate that? <laughs> well, I did. I did. I, I, no, I, I did, actually. I watched uh, Seven Samurai. Then, then you're like done. Back to my game. <laughs> Mo, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty much. <laughs> Mo, on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, we are going to watch Pantheon Black from Fabian uh, Rush. Uh, I'm excited about it. I know our listeners are excited about it, but I think we need to rest up, get our energy back, Mo, or, or you should go play your video game. And mm. in just a little while, we'll be back to talk about your favorite low-budget, ultra-low-budget, micro-budget, and shot-on-video movies once again. Indeed. Good night, everybody. Oh, good night. What is with you, Laurel? I'd wish you'd remember that you're human and that you live in the world. You know, I'd be the last one to want you to lower your standards one iota, but it wouldn't be lowering it to bring you within human comprehension. You can't seriously be considering destroying those 13 chapters. It's crazy. It's some of the best. No, it is the best writing I've ever read. Christ, Laurel, you've been writing for ten years now, and you're just at the doorstep of the goal you've been working towards all your life. And here you're talking about destroying it? And for what? For what possible purpose could you have for doing such a thing? 